Welcome to the Walk With Me podcast. I'm Pastor Stephen Bond from the Vine Church in Chapel Hill, Tennessee, and I'm excited that you are walking with me. What we do each day is we look at about three chapters of Scripture that I'm just organically reading through in my time with the Lord, and we're going to discuss them for around 20 minutes. You're going to get the most out of this if you read these chapters individually, but hopefully together we'll be able to hear the voice of the Lord as we're meeting each day. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. Today's passage is from the Song of Solomon, chapters 7 and 8. This will be our conclusion of Song of Solomon. And uh, we're just going to do these two chapters today so we can start fresh. Uh, together in to the book of Isaiah, which is going to be just an incredible change of pace from the Song of Solomon, which um, I'll talk more about that tomorrow. But uh, just to con- conclude Song of Solomon today, let's look at chapters 7 and 8. Um, now we're going into the man's description here. And I use the man because that's really the way the text is. It has he and it has she, or it has he and her, and then it has others. He and she and others. He and she and others. Those are the three characters. Solomon's mentioned a few times in this. It's almost like he's he's an outsider, but it's, it's kind of a, a personal opinion if you really think this story is about Solomon and his lover, or if you think it's about two lovers, and Solomon's perhaps just the ruler of the kingdom at that time, and he's just maybe the recorder of this story because of how poetic he was. And some people lean towards that because this is such a story of two lovers whereas, uh, that are seeming to be so um, passionate about one another exclusively, and also really... Um, uh, careful about the time in which they would awaken love. And, you know, from just the stories we know about Solomon, he struggled greatly with pursuing, you know, foreign women and at times had, you know, he had 300 wives and all these things. So it doesn't sound like his character. Um, yet, because it's called Song of Solomon and there's a couple of mentions to him, it's just kind of commonly been regarded that the story is about him and a woman. And I can't say conclusively that it is. I will say just completing this book from a fresh standpoint, I did not feel like it was the story of Solomon and his lover, but a story of two lovers that perhaps Solomon recorded. That's just my opinion, and and it's not it's not a big deal if I'm wrong. <laughs> but that, and I've never thought that actually before reading through just this time, um, because it is kind of common. You think Song of Solomon? It's it's Solomon's song. It's he's he's the he in the story. Just recently, just this time through, I walked through it and thought, I don't know, I don't know if he is the he in this story, um, because when he is mentioned, he's kind of mentioned not in the same light. To me, it doesn't sound like. Uh, I'll give you another example of that here in just a second. But the he in this story is um, beginning to just give probably the greatest description that he gives regarding his woman. And and, and again, don't get lost in the, the, um, the, the symbolism and the words that he's trying to use. He's just using the strongest speech that he could. And so even though it's a little, oh, I don't want to say outdated, but even though I think it's a little bit unusual, the imagery and, and the way that we would describe people, um, I think it's actually, even between that, you can still read the passion in the words. And so he says, how beautiful are your feet 
and sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of weep encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fonts, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools and Heshbon by the gate of Beth Rabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel, and your flocking locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. And, you know, just again, I want to tap back into what we spoke about yesterday, is that um, you're not doing anyone a favor when you when you betroth yourself to someone that you don't feel passionate about. Okay, now for those that are already married, you think this is wonderful advice, several years too late. Well, I'll extend it to say, you're not doing anyone any favors by enduring painfully the the, the marriage that you're in that's passionate, loveless. Okay, the, the design for marriage for, for God's people is one that is always filled with this sort of pursuit and this sort of love and this sort of admiration towards one another. God doesn't have in heaven, I don't believe, a big uh, file filled with marriage certificates and and um, and divorce certificates. Okay, um, he doesn't look at things in that way. Okay, I know a lot of people have been divorced and a lot of people have struggled greatly. Um, because of the scripture in Malachi where it says God hates divorce and they have felt like when they have chosen to end their marriage legally that God has rejected them or been greatly displeased with them. Well, first I want to say God hates divorce because God hates anything that hurts his people. And there's far there's very few things that are more painful than divorce. It's literally the tearing apart of two people that are joined together as one person. I mean, it's it's... It's kind of like conjoined twins when they come forth and they're born. (coughs) And the doctors decide sometimes that they're going to separate them. It's an incredibly dangerous procedure, and most of the time they don't live. Why? Because when two become one... They they feed off of each other. They sustain each other. They, they're never meant to be separated. That's why Jesus says, Let not man separate what God has joined together. When you said, I do, before the Lord, you became conjoined to this person. Okay? And and you can go ahead and throw throw out all the world's wisdom and all their and all their stupid things that they have to say about codependency and all this. Yes, you become codependent upon them and they become codependent on you because you are not two anymore, you become one. And um not to say that you lean on their strength more than you lean on the Lord's, but you're now responsible for them, they're responsible for you, you submit to them, they submit to you. It's this it's this whole new creation. Okay, and the only other experience that we have like that is the salvation experience where the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And now I'm not just me, I'm me and God. Now I'm carrying God everywhere I go, and then I'm married, and then it's me, and it's God, and it's her, or it's him. And it's a triple braided cord. Okay, so everything changes. Now, what I'm saying is from that unit to get divorced is to the ripping apart of one back into two. And you can imagine that's that's going to be a process that's going to have some casualty. It's going to be a process that's going to be incredibly painful. So yeah, God hates it. Like he hates abortion and he hates 
murder and he hates alcoholism. He hates drug addiction. And he doesn't hate the people that have fell victim to the pain. But he hates the pain and he hates what it causes. So don't be condemned any longer by the fact that you've perhaps been a victim of divorce. Because just like you didn't like it, neither did God. But I want to say this. We don't fool God by by remaining in our loveless uh, marriages that are filled with nothing but complacency. Okay, I've, I've counseled many of people that were on the edge of, do I get divorced or do I not? And honestly, you don't have to like that I said this because you, know, you haven't said where I've said and I haven't said where you've said either. But there's been a very decent amount of times that I've looked at these people and I've said, hey, you were divorced five years ago. I mean, just because I just, we cling to the law in the way of we cling to the legal aspect of it and, and it, and it bogs us down. And I've just known many of people that have remained in horrible situations, abusive situations, situations filled with addiction and uh, abuse and all these things. And they remain because they don't want to go through that step of what legally takes place in divorce. All I'm trying to do by saying all this is invite us into God's understanding that marriage isn't about what's written on a paper, but what actually happens when two people are joined together. So what I'm saying is, though, your pursuit of marriage should be returning and remaining in the place that that the Song of Solomon writes us in. This passionate, intoxicated, pursuing love is the way that your marriage should always be. And if your marriage is not that way, then you must ask the Lord to again, you know, to again, or even maybe for the first time, some people get married and they never have experienced this. You need to ask the Lord, Lord, create this love, this intoxication, this fervor, this delight, this pursuit, this enjoyment, this pleasure, me for my spouse and my spouse for me. Because what I'm telling you is you can't be God's picture of his relationship for the church and himself if there's no passion in your relationship. Because his relationship to us is not that he endures, because he said he would. (laughs) All right, I'll endure you because I said that I would. And that's how, honestly, most people's marriages are. I'm going to endure you because I said that I would. And what I'm telling you is your marriage is already broken. So before you wrestle and 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 figure out all this, if you're going to get divorced or if you're not going to get divorced or is God going to be mad at you or is he not, I'm asking you to actually look at marriage from his lens and think, is is my marriage a depiction of the way Jesus loves the church and the church loves Jesus and the way that Jesus um, has laid himself down as husbands lay themselves down for their wives? Am I living that selflessly towards my bride? And as the bride, am I submitted unto my husband in such a way like the church is to Jesus where I'm just here to aid and help and support and respect of the man that God has given. Is my my marriage look like all that? And if it doesn't, then we start seeking the Lord and asking, what would you do to this? Okay, this isn't me saying, go get divorced by any means. Please don't take it that way. All I'm saying is don't think that you're fooling God because your marriage is loveless, yet you haven't filled out any paperwork, so he's pleased. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, and so when we read through the Song of Solomon, let's not just read this like, oh yeah, this sounds like a couple of 17-year-olds. 
no, this sounds like the way that God made love and the way that we're supposed to always have it. So for those that are single, don't settle for something that's not God's plan. Young woman, God has a man for you that's going to love you in such a way that makes you have a better understanding of the way that he loves you. Your eyes are going to open a little bit wider to the love of God because of this love of this man that he's put in your life. When I met my wife and she began to pursue me and I pursued her and we got married, my understanding of God's love for me literally expanded because I was face to face with a physical manifestation of a person that was the closest that I had ever known to, by their own free will, choosing me, pursuing me and loving me. I had never experienced that before. You don't experience that in anyone in your family, anyone in your, your parents. Their love is important too. That's a whole nother lesson. But when someone chooses you when they don't have to, that's the love of Jesus, right? And then they pursue you for all the days of your life, whether you whether good days and bad days alike. That shows you the love of Jesus. So young woman, don't settle for the love of some man who doesn't love Jesus, because he can never love you like Jesus if he doesn't love Jesus, but also someone that doesn't pursue you in the way like this man was pursuing his his woman, the way that he loved her. Young man, don't settle for the love of some woman that you feel like you have to earn or someone that you have to fix or someone that you have to win over. But you look for the woman that is wild about you, the woman that's wild about Jesus, the woman that's wild about you, because you deserve it. Because that's it's God's gift. God says marriage is your gift. How many people's marriages are a gift to them? It's supposed to be. God says, hey, God, this life's hard. I've given you this beautiful thing to make it easier. But we just settle. And we need to start seeking for the abundance in, in our marriages. Okay, and so just as we're exiting, I just want to remind us of that. To those that are single, this is this is the goal. For those that are married, this is still the goal. Get back to it. Start start now. Start pursuing your bride again. Start pursuing your groom again, ladies. Seeking the Lord on how to do this. Isn't that funny? If I if I called, you know, anyone that's listening today and I said, I'm gonna have you preach at my church next week, the level of pursuit in your life would, would flip upside down. I mean, you would just like take notes and read your Bible and just like watch videos and commentaries and sermons and pray. And you would just be, honestly, you'd be freaked. You'd be go, what am I going to talk about? What am I going to talk about? It's because I've, I've given you an assignment. And you know that there's going to be, there's going to be a moment where it's going to matter the work that you put into it. Why don't we look at our marriages that way? Hey, listen, to those who are married right now, in two weeks, you're going to still be married. Unless one of you goes home, between now and them to the Lord, right? So why aren't we studying about this? Why aren't we pursuing? Why aren't we praying? Why aren't we, we don't take the assignment serious enough. To those that are unmarried, I'm going to say, hey, one day you're going to be married. This is your time of preparation. When I was praying for my wife, I prayed for her for about 18 months where I was just kind of in this season of waiting. And so many times when I would pray, the Lord would, would begin to say to me, you know, I haven't given her because you're not ready for her. I didn't understand that until actually, I, I, I received it, but I didn't fully understand it until after I got married and I realized the selflessness that marriage really presents. And it made me realize that I was more selfish than I ever thought I was. So sometimes the reason why you don't have is because you're not yet ready for. But for those who've already been given, you have to step up. 
then you have to start becoming the, the husband or the wife that God's called you to be. And remember that you're not doing God or them or anyone any favors by having a mentality of just complacency and enduring. You need to start pursuing again. And uh, so we read that in this, this kind of erotic speech. He says, How beautiful and pleasant are you, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb to the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. And the woman then speaks and says, It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grapes have blossomed and the pomegranates are in bloom. Then I will give you my love. And so just this, and then she begins to speak about, I wish that basically you were my brother. That sounds kind of weird, but what she's trying to say is I wish that our love could be a, could be already awake. I wish that we lived already in the same household. I wish, I wish I had no reason to withhold my love, but I'm waiting for the time to be right. There's a great respect for this intimacy that they have of, I want you so bad and I want to be one with you, yet I understand how powerful this thing is that we're waiting on and it's like nothing we've ever experienced before so we must not rush it and so there's this respect that they have for it that we should have as well and then probably the most memorable thing that is said in the entire book of song of solomon i would say is what the bride says here in verse six of chapter eight she says set me as a seal upon your heart as a seal upon your arm for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes our fire. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Let's, let's go back over for just a second to the parallel where I know we're talking about let's pursue this kind of love in our marriage. Let's wait for this kind of love in our lives for those that are single. But now let's also remember that God's given us all things so that we could relate to himself better. The way that this woman feels is she wants, she says, set me <coughs> as a seal upon your arm, upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. What this is saying is, this desire for possession and ownership, like the king's ring and the seal of, of wax upon something or on a letter or on a, on a decree. It's this state of um, a, a desire for it to be completely um, official and, 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 uh, and, and concrete, this love. So she's saying... Basically, set me as a seal upon your heart and as a seal upon your arm, showing that I am yours and you are mine forever. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. I want to be yours and I want you to be mine forever. <coughs> 
and we're understanding this of the way that we should feel towards one another, but also this is our relationship with the Lord, is understanding that this is his love for us. And he has put a seal upon his heart for us, a seal upon his arm for us. In fact, he's given us his Holy Spirit as a seal, as his seal upon us, that we belong to him and he belongs to us. And then it says, and this, this sort of love, it says, many waters can't quench it, neither can floods drown it. Basically saying this love is so powerful. Even if a man offered everything in his house, he would be utterly despised. And then isn't that amazing? You know, Solomon speaks about that in other books too. He's like, something that I don't understand. He says, one thing I just don't understand is love. How a man loves a woman. And it is wild because, you know, man, man enjoys money and boats and golf and, you know, all these sort of things. But when a man's in love, truly in love in this kind of way... Anyone could come along and go, hey, I'll give you $100 million right now and, you know, my wife and, you know, my cars, you know, just all this kind of stuff. Something that that a man out of love would have thought, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. A man in love looks at all this, rolls his eyes at it like he's offered him nothing and walks away. And that's that's a curious thing, isn't it? But that's the way that our love should actually be towards Jesus is because I have him, everything that this world could ever offer me is disgusting in comparison to the love that I have found. I think about that with my bride. There's nothing anyone could ever offer me in this entire world that that would ever make me turn loose of my bride. Right, And that's the way that we should be towards our Savior. That's the love that's been set as the example for us. And so this concludes in chapter 8. And they mention the others. They're kind of curious in this story. They, they mention, well, we have a little sister. And, you know, she's not yet of the age to be married, but she soon will be. And, you know, what should we do is kind of like what they're talking about here. And the the female character in this story basically says this, just this understanding of my vineyard is mine to give. And that that's, she's talking about that in regards to what they were talking about, about their little sister. But really what this is setting is just an understanding of that love and intimacy is is a delicate thing. It's a powerful thing. It's a passionate thing, but it's to be given very cautiously and carefully only to the one who has set um, set them as a seal upon their heart. You think about that in the context of marriage, right? So, So sex isn't to be given to someone who's cute at a party. It's not to be given to someone on the internet. It's not to be given. It's your vineyard and it's to have a door upon it and you have to open it up only. And that applies to those that are married too. There's a lot of people that are opening their vineyard, so to speak, their intimacy, their love. They're opening opening it up to whomever. And this is of a kind of love that can only be opened up to those who have set a seal upon themselves for one another. And so to speak, that they've made an, obli- an obligation or a commitment or a covenant to one another. And then now they can partake 
of each other's vineyard, so to speak. And so it's this idea of, of intimacy uh, and by this way of commitment towards one another. And that's kind of what the woman says here. She says, my vineyard's mine to give. And then she, and then she says, but Solomon may have a thousand. You know, and that that's kind of one of those verses where it makes me think she's not talking about Solomon because she's kind of saying, well, you know, Solomon's got a thousand vineyards to give. But basically saying Solomon's spread out all over the city, but I'm not that way. I'm choosing who can come into my vineyard very carefully. And so to me, that doesn't sound like that. That's one of those verses that makes me not think that her lover, this guy with these big bronzed arms and, you know, with these, you know, this way in which she's described him so intoxicatingly, it doesn't sound to me like that's him in this story. But it could be. Maybe it's just a reference of she's saying, he has given himself to many, but I am only giving myself to him. But, um, yeah, so we're concluding this, this all ends kind of mysteriously, but basically, there really, there really isn't any other way to say how this ends. Uh, you know how it ends. <laughs> they said, make, uh, make haste, my beloved, and be like a, a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. And it ends because the door shuts and they enter into the marriage chamber and the wait is over and love has been fully awakened. And that is how the story ends. And we will, of course, go into Isaiah tomorrow and <laughs> it probably will be a while before we speak in such a way as we have this these last few times together in the Song of Solomon. But I hope that you've enjoyed it. I, I know I know it's a cha- it's, it's inspired scripture and it's meant to be there. And hopefully it's challenging us to uh, to to reevaluate the way that the the the, the bride should love the groom and the way that the groom loves the bride. And that should challenge us to fully understand more of the way Jesus loves us, how I love him, how I love my wife, how I, how you love your husband, right? And also for those that are single, what to be on the lookout for, because this world doesn't give you a lot of direction. It says things like, you know, check out, you know, find a good personality or, and then, and then you end up marrying someone because they're funny. Okay, funny people don't make for good spouses. Because what you think's funny now, you won't think's funny in, in five years. What you need is it's a it's a it's a blessing to have someone that's funny. That's great. What you're looking for is someone that's mad head over heels, crazy about Jesus, and you can feel that reckless love that they have for Jesus. They they have a a variation of it for you and it's like nothing you've ever felt before that's what we're looking for because that's what we need in our marriages because that's the kind of love we need to show to this world